0: The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Hey, it is good to see you. Thanks for coming out and being with us this morning. Um, I am just thankful to be here and be able to share the word. Before we get started, I'm going to pray for us. So if you just join me, I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day. Thanks for the breeze. Uh, Thank you for the clouds that are keeping us cool right now. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak this morning as we look at grace again, and I do, as we have looked at grace over and over, I just pray that we would understand uh, that your grace is always there, it's always abundant, and it's always on repeat in our lives. Uh, Use these words this morning, Father, and and just speak, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The date was uh, September 15th, and it was 2009. I was 25 years old. I was in ministry at that point for about two and a half years, and uh, I was I got two calls that no uh, youth worker ever wants to get. Okay, Uh, it was a Tuesday. It was rainy. That's I do remember that because uh, it was just kind of a nasty day. I was in Memphis, Tennessee at the time, and uh, was preparing for our Wednesday night high school like midweek service. And the first call was from my boss. His name was Todd. And I picked up the phone. It's typical for him to call me. I didn't think anything uh, different of that phone call uh, until he started talking. And he told me that that day after school, one of our students, uh, Winston, who uh, was in my small group, was driving home uh, with students to take them home, and they had hydroplaned over a bridge, hit the median, flipped over the median into oncoming traffic, and been hit by another car. He also told me at that moment that another student was with them. Um, and her name was Meredith. She was in our student ministry, and that she had died at the scene of impact. The other three were being taken right then to uh, the hospital in critical condition. And, and I said, what, what do you want me to do? And, and he said, I need you to start getting ready because uh, tonight we're going to have a prayer service for students and anybody that wants to come, and I need you to lead that. He said, my plan is, I'm I'm going and I'm getting on a private plane. I'm going to fly to Texas to get her older brother from college, and I'm going to fly back tonight, but I need you to lead this. He's like, you have something to offer them. You know what they need right now, and I got off the phone with him, and I thought, I have absolutely nothing to give, (laughs) nothing I thought, you're, you're nuts. My boss was insane. He was crazy. Why would you call me? Well, see, my boss knew something about me that at that time not many people knew. That two and a half years previous to that, that I lost a best friend in a car accident that happened at Taylor University. And he knew that I knew what these kids were going to be going through that night. And so he asked me, and, the, and as I'm processing and thinking through why he asked me, my phone rings again. And I looked down at it. And it was Margot. Meredith's older sister. Listen, I-, I was one of five on staff. I was like the bottom of the totem pole. I'm two and a half years into ministry. I am the intern. There's no reason for Margot to call me out of everyone on staff. I had no desire to answer the phone call, but I did. And, and immediately, Margot says, Lance, Lance, are you there? I said, Yes, I am. And she said, Where is my sister? Yeah, I, I just remember thinking, I don't have an answer for that question. I, I said, "Margot, you need to go home right now. Where are you?" She said, no, "No, no, Lance, I need to know where my sister is right now." And I said, "You need to go home. Todd is at your house. He will meet you there. Go home." And she, she just got frustrated, and she, she yelled at me through the phone, "Tell me where my sister is." And I said, Margo, your sister's gone." You need to get to your house now. Are you driving?" And she said, "No." And I said, "Okay, tell whoever's driving you take you to your house." And they went back to the house. Todd was there, was able to meet with them. Meanwhile, I'm headed back up to the church thinking, "What am I how where do I even start with this idea?" That night, we had over 700 high school students show up to our student ministry. That night, I led some kind of prayer service. Do I remember what I said or what scripture I used? No. Couldn't tell you that today. Did, did I spend uh, what felt like hours praying over hundreds of students, both uh, as a group but also individually? Oh, yeah. Did that night God take, by his grace, my nothing and turn it into something? Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Because what I felt like that night, I was walking in, was was nothing. Begging God to do something. And he did. And he did. You see, this morning, Amber shared with us this story where this woman comes before Elisha, and she says, I have nothing. In fact, Elijah, she's coming. She's lost her husband. We need to understand this. Losing your husband in that day and age would be losing all your security. You were in danger of somebody trying to take advantage of you because you didn't have a husband there to protect you or provide for you. And she had these two sons, and she has nothing to to give them. And in fact, when her husband died, she inherited nothing but debt, debt she couldn't pay. And so here she is with two sons, a massive amount of debt, and she comes to Elisha begging for help. What you need to understand, too, this this is the second miracle of Elisha's. Two chapters previous to this, Elijah is taken up into heaven. That was his master, Elijah's master and mentor. And he does this first miracle, which is very public. And then he does this one that is so private. We're going to talk about that again in a second. But he he does this miracle. But first he asks, well, what what do you have? What do you have in your home? And, And she says, and if you read it in the NLT, it says this, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil. But if you read it in some other translations, what you catch the point of this, is this. Some of them translate it this way. Nothing, she said. Oh, oh yeah, but, but I've got this little flask of olive oil that I, that I have to cook with. Right? Her first response is, I have nothing. When, I'm thinking, when she's thinking about the debt that she owes and the fact that she needs to pay that off and provide for her two sons, she has Nothing. Understand this, she she is going to lose her two sons. The creditor has come to her and said, hey, you owe us money, and in this day and age, the way it worked with Mosaic Law was, if you didn't have the money to pay off the debt, you gave up your kids to that creditor to pay off the debt, and they would go and become workers slaves for that person until the year of Jubilee. And so here she's looking at, in a matter of days, becoming a widow and losing her husband and losing both of her boys to a creditor from a family to an absolute widow with nothing. And she's like, but we do have one thing in the house. Some olive oil. It's a little container that we cook with. I got that. But to her, that was nothing. To her, she couldn't bring anything to Elisha to help her situation. And so Elisha turns and says, Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons, shut the door behind you, and pour olive oil from the flask into the jar, setting each one aside when it's filled. You see, I don't know if you're relating to this story at all, but I really do, because the truth is, is you and I, sometimes we feel like we have nothing to give God when it comes to something that's going on in our lives. When it comes to our faith, when it comes to a situation that maybe is happening in our family, we have nothing to give. And in our eyes, it seems like nothing. But what we have to understand, in God's eyes, there's always something. Because of his grace, because of his love and care for us, there is always something. And so she goes into the, the house, and they begin to, to pour this oil into the jars and it fills the first jar that that shouldn't have happened she tells her sons go get get another one we fill up the net I mean just imagine what this scene would have been like just porn. like I don't know how this is happening I, I thought about like how could we make this happen on stage I, I really thought through this this past week how could I trick your eyes and make this happen it's not possible okay I tried I spent too many hours this week trying to figure out how to make something, like there's a tube that goes down my arm into my shirt, you know, and connected to a water tank, and I could do this in front of you. There's no way, except for if God shows up and does a miracle by his grace. And they don't fill up one jar. They don't fill up two jars. In fact, they get to the point where she's like, bring the next one. And the boys are like, we don't have anything. We filled every jar we had. And then what happens? The oil stops. There's only one way that happens. That is by the grace of God through the miracle that He made happen that day. There's only one thing, because see, this is our bottom line today. This is what I want you to walk away understanding. That by God's grace, He turns our nothing into something. You see, when I think about my story, uh, when it came to Meredith and that prayer service, I didn't. I didn't feel like I had anything to give. And I showed up and I shared some scripture. And honestly, to be really honest with you, what I had was an open wound. I hadn't started processing. In fact, I didn't want to process the loss of one of my best friends. At that point, I had no desire to do that. I didn't have any desire to even share that I had that situation. And yet what God does is is he kind of thrusts me in there and said, Hey, I know you feel like you have nothing, but I'm going to watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it into something. By my grace. And that's what he does for her. Oh, gosh. That's what he does for her. He takes that nothing and he turns it into something. And there's two things I want you to see in this passage. And I don't want you to miss these today. Okay? By God's grace, he turns her nothing into something. First, you have God's grace in the measure in which you desire him. Okay? Let me say that again. You have God's grace... In the measure that you desire him. Why do I know that? Why is that true? Because look at this passage and what she chooses to do. Just think about this for a minute, and let me rewrite the story for a second. Elijah tells him, go get as many jars as you can. Borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into the house with your sons and shut the door behind and pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. So she and her sons went out and found two jars, and they brought them into the home. That's not the story, right? That's not what she does. Think for a second. If, if her desire and her faith was, well, I don't, it's just this little jar of olive oil. It's nothing. You're not going to be able to fill the two jars we found, let alone Any more that I can find. See, that's not what she does because her desire is for God to provide for her her, and her family. Her desire is for her to be able to pay off the debt and to care for her boys. And so what does she do? She goes out and finds as many jars as they could find. She goes into the house and starts pouring and then all of a sudden they have all these jars and I love this. And they did this. And Elijah wasn't even present. He wasn't there. Why was Elijah not there? Because it wasn't Elijah who was providing for her, it was God who was providing for her. It was God's grace that was taking her nothing in that house and turning it into something because she desired it, because she had faith. That he would show up. And so when I think about that, the question that rings in my mind, the question I've been asking myself this past week is, what situations in my own life is my desire not meeting where God's grace is? Because here's the the truth this morning. God's grace is never going to run out for you. It's just not. And so our desire and our faith should never run out on God. It just shouldn't. Now, we struggle with that because we're human. I'm human. You're human. I get that. But what situation in your life have you let your desire or your faith run out on God's grace? What I want to tell you this morning is this. God's grace is not done with that situation. He's going to continue to work in your life if you would allow him to. You have God's grace in the measure in which you desire him. And second, I want you to see this. God's grace will always be abundant For your needs now and into the future. Notice what happens at the very end. And and you might miss this because it's the last sentence of the story. It says this. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what's left over. Elijah wasn't even there. But Elijah knows, hey, God has provided enough for your debts and for what you need to support your boys. Now let me pause for a second because I know what that's teetering on and it's called the prosperity gospel. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he's always going to provide everything you need to be rich and have a comfy life here on earth. That's not, that's not at all what this is saying. She lost her husband and this is God's provision for her through his grace because she had this desire and this faith in who he was and what he would do for her. There's a difference between those two things. And from that day forward, she was taken care of, but it was so private. Nobody saw it. And and as I think back in my story of standing there that night and sharing with those kids scripture and my own story in some way, shape, or form, because I, I don't remember that, what those kids don't know. None of the 700 kids that showed up that night knew that that night, God was providing grace for me. That that, that night, that my beginning of my processing, the beginning of my forgiveness for the man who took her life, the beginning of my own healing took place that night. But that was just between God and I. And the same is true for you. When it comes to the things that you think of, I just don't know if I have any more desire or faith that you could do anything in this situation, God. He can. And I want you to be encouraged by this because it is personal. Personal. It's not for everybody else. It's for you. It's for your faith, your walk, your belief, your desire in who Jesus is. He provides. I would be missing something if I didn't tell you this last point this morning. That this is just prophetic of the grace that God shows us through Jesus. This whole story is pointing to something. It is found in the Old Testament, but is pointing to the New Testament. It's a story that gives us a picture, uh, while it might be an earthly picture and a small picture and a private picture, of what God did for us through Jesus on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. He did this. He gave you grace for today in your sinfulness. And he gave you grace for the future in your sinfulness through Jesus on the cross. Because God is in the business, through his grace, of taking your nothing and turning it into something. And he can do that for you today. He can do that for you in the days to come. And that's my prayer, that you would understand that, that, that God's grace is big enough, it's not going to run out, it's abundant, and it's going to take all of our, including myself, what I believe to be my nothing and turn it into something. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this story that happened years before you ever walked this earth that points directly to you, that God, you are so powerful and your grace is so abundant that you knew that we wouldn't be able to live up to a law you gave us in the Old Testament. And so you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us, to provide us grace when we had nothing in the form of salvation, being saved from our sins. And and not only in a moment, but for every single day, I pray, Jesus, that we would understand that, that our desire and that our faith in you would rise to the abundance of your grace And as a result, we would experience great things for your glory and that we would use our story to share about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we thank you again for this morning. And would you allow us to walk away from here understanding that by your grace, you turn our nothing into something. In Jesus' name, amen.